Good morning. Right, there we go. Good morning. My name is Stephen, and I am the new lead pastor here at Fellowship Church. And let me just extend a welcome. Yeah, praise God. We give all glory to God. If you are a guest with us today, or if you're newer with us, um, you may be wondering about that. Uh, this past fall, God called Mark Ramirez, our pastor of 18 years, called him to a new ministry role as a district superintendent in the EFCA. And as Pastor Mark uh, left at the end of this past year, we've been in a process of transition to a new lead pastor. But before he left, Pastor Mark led us as a church in a study in the book of Joshua. And so we went through the first six chapters of Joshua, and God really blessed that. And so as I was thinking about this transition and moving forward, I felt God was leading us to continue in that series. So if you haven't heard those messages, I would encourage you to go on our website and look those up. They're tremendous. It will really help you as we work our way through this. Um, but this is the time in our service when we take a significant amount of time and our energy and our thoughts to focus on God's word, to hear what his word has to say to us. This is an act of worship that we do together. And so as we do that, would you join me as we pray and ask the Lord to be glorified in us and to, for him to illuminate his word to us. So let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, we come before you, the living God, to worship you. And now as we turn our attention to your word, we ask that as we think about it, as we listen to it, as we process it, that God, you would be glorified in us, that you would be glorified through your word, that we would hear it and respond to it. Holy Spirit of God, come, illuminate your word to us this morning, that we would understand it and that our hearts would be changed by it. And we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In 1950, the FBI discovered that there were Americans who were spying on the U.S. and giving secrets, military secrets and government secrets, to the Soviet Union. This was really kind of in the height of the Cold War. The FBI discovered that not only were these secrets being transmitted to a foreign hostile government, but also the particular nature of them. There were nuclear secrets about atomic weapons that were being shared by American citizens secretly to the Soviet Union. And so over the course of time, the federal government arrested a couple, Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, and they were tried and they were convicted on federal charges of espionage. And they were actually sentenced to death, and they were executed. Now, traditionally, in, in, in human history, those kinds of crimes, treason, spying, have been treated very severely. Often, the penalty for such crimes is death. And the reason for that kind of makes sense, if you think about it, because of the seriousness of the nature of such a crime, those who are on the inside who are working for an enemy. And so we have, as human societies, taken that very seriously. But there's a, another enemy inside that we as human beings have often tended to take not seriously enough. 
And that's what we want to talk together about today. That is the enemy within us. Our own nature of sin, our own tendency to rebel against God. We have this nature. Now, as we turn to look at the book of Joshua, we're going to look at chapter 7 today. And as we, we kind of just cast our minds back to the story. So God has brought this people out of Egypt. He's provided for them in the wilderness for 40 years. They had to wander in the wilderness because of their disobedience. God provided for them. They come to the edge of the promised land. The second generation, they're ready to go in and take the land. But in order to possess the land that God had promised to them and to their ancestors, they're going to have to drive out the Canaanites, the nations that are present there. And so they're going to have to go to war with an enemy. Before they get into the land, they have to cross over a river. There's a physical barrier, and God parts the Jordan, and they go through. Then they face the giant, the, the big, magnificent, walled city of Jericho. And they have to face this enemy, this big, tremendous enemy. And God delivers them from that enemy, and they have a great victory. That's the end of chapter 6. That's, that's what's happened, and this is where we're going to pick it up today. But they face an even greater enemy. And this is the enemy that defeats them. This is the enemy that causes them to fail and falter in their mission. It's the enemy within. So as we look together today, we want to talk about that. Why is the enemy within so dangerous? Why is this the thing that causes the people of Israel to fail? Why is our own rebellion the one thing, the thing that causes us to be defeated so often? So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Joshua chapter 7. The words will be up on the screen. You can follow along there. But I'm going to read this for us, and then we'll dive in and see what it has to say for us. Joshua chapter 7. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth Aven, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up, spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gates as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and all the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say? When Israel has turned their backs before their enemies. For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it. And will surround us. And will cut off our name from the earth. 
And what will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near, tribe by tribe. And the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah. And the clan of the Zarathites was taken. And he brought near the clan of Zarathite man by man. And Zabdi was taken. And he brought near the household man by man. And Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken. And Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord. God of Israel, and give praise to him. And tell me now, what have you done? Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing fifty shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and they brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel and they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned them with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the valley of Achor. So what's going on here in this story? There's a lot there. Why is it that this is what causes them to be defeated? So think about it. God has miraculously defeated Jericho. That's chapter six. You can go back and read that. Now this is a big deal for them. They've crossed over the Jordan. This is their first entry into the land. And Jericho is the most difficult city. 
It's large, it's prosperous, it's wealthy, it has a large wall. This is probably the biggest challenge they're going to face in taking over the whole land. In video game terms, this is the final boss. And they have, by following God, they have delivered it. So if you think about Joshua, he's the military guy, right? So he's going to have plans. You get out the map, looking at everything. He's got his advisors around, and you're looking, okay, how are we going to do this? And they're like, Jericho, that's the one. If we, can get, if we can take out Jericho, I don't know how we're going to do it, but if we can take out Jericho, we're good. The rest of it will be easy. And God miraculously delivers Jericho over to their hands. And they don't lose anyone. No one is injured. No one is killed. The big boy has gone down and the rest of it should be smooth sailing. But in this process, God says, he tells the people that everything in the city of Jericho belongs to him. Everything within the city of Jericho is God's. Everything in this city, this is the Hebrew term, is harem, Joshua 6, 17. This means it is devoted to destruction. You may see that in your translation of the Bible, devoted to the Lord for destruction, or sometimes it's translated as under the ban, or other times set apart. This is a really, really important concept, so we're going to spend a little bit of time here to get this, because if if we don't understand this, we really won't get any of the story. So this term in Hebrew, harem, it means devoted things. They belong to God. They are things for him to keep, for his own, or things for him to destroy if he wants to. Think about it this way. If you buy a house, you know, you close on the house, everything there, they give you the keys, it's all yours. You go into the basement or the attic and you find the pile of junk that was left by the people who sold you the house, right? It now belongs to you. It's harem. It's devoted to you. Now, you can decide to keep it if you want to. You can leave it in the attic, leave it in the corner of the basement. That's up to you. But you're most likely going to say, this is junk. I'm going to throw it out. I'm going to get rid of it. That's your prerogative. It is yours. It belongs to you. In talking about this term harem, the NIV text note says this. The Hebrew term refers to the irrevocable giving over of things or person to the Lord, often by totally destroying them. They belong to God. God can do what he wants with them. They are for him. Now he's cleansing the land to make a holy place where he can dwell with his people. So these wicked pagan Canaanites are going to be wiped out. But it belongs to God. It's his. And taking from him is not allowed. It reminds me, as I was thinking about this, it reminds me of my great-grandmother. I got to know, I got to meet my great-grandmother, which is really cool. She lived till I was about six or seven. I remember going to my grandparents' house and sitting in their living room. And my great-grandmother, every memory I have, my great-grandmother was there, and she was sitting in her chair in the living room. I never saw anybody else ever sit in that chair. It was Grammy's chair. It was harem. It belonged to her. Now, if I as a six-year-old was like, hey, I'm going to go sit in the chair, that would have caused an uproar. They'd be like, nope, get out. That's Grammy's chair. It belongs to her. It's for her. Maybe you have somebody in your life who has a special mug. You know, that special mug. You don't touch the special mug. Sometimes you don't wash the special mug. 
You'll get in trouble because it's theirs. It's for them. It's precious. Maybe you know somebody who's like that, that really star painter. They've got their paint brushes. You know what I'm talking about? They got the, one, the perfect one. Oh, they just cut in those corners. Of the, you don't touch those paint brushes. You don't come in and you dab those paint brushes, leave them all messy. It's, the paint brushes are harem. You're going to experience some wrath if those paint brushes come back messed up, right? That's the concept here. Now, in those kind of cases, yeah, you face wrath, there's, there's challenge, but you see the, the problem of taking something that's harem, it belongs to somebody, and if you take it when it's not yours. Another example, if you have, let's say you have a birthday party for your kid, your kid's turning 10, big birthday bash, you got all the presents, everything's there, and I just came and said, hey, thanks for those presents, and I opened them all and took them home. You'd be like, dude, what's the deal? Those aren't for you. That's harem. It belongs to God. So everything in Jericho, this is a big wealthy city. Now think about this. They were besieged. What happens when they're besieged? You go, oh, the enemy army is coming. Bring everything inside. Shut the gates. We're going to outlast them. So there's a lot in Jericho. Money, riches, people. God says it all belongs to me. I can do what I want with it, except Rahab and her family, right? Remember that story? They are to be saved alive because of Rahab's faith. Everything else was devoted to the Lord. So the Lord was delivering the land into their hands to make it holy. And so he calls them to destroy all of it, except the gold and the silver they can bring in. But it's to be devoted to God. They're not supposed to take any of the spoils. Joshua specifically warned them about this. In chapter 6, verse 18, don't take any of it. Be careful about it, or else you will bring trouble or destruction upon yourselves, and you will die. They would bring that disaster. So it's all pretty clear and straightforward, right? I mean, they had this big victory. You blow the trumpets, you walk around. They didn't even really have to fight. God did an amazing victory. You know, amazing miracles. Wouldn't you like to see that? Isn't that just what we need more of? Seeing God work in big ways. If we just saw that, if we just saw God work in big ways, then we'd be all good, right? I mean, they're going to be like, wow, we've made it into the land. Our biggest enemy is destroyed. God is with us. We're going to go. Everything's going to go great, right? Not so much. Verse 7, verse 1 of chapter 7. But the people of Israel broke faith with the Lord regarding the devoted things. The things that God said, these belong to me. They broke faith with God. Now this term broke faith, it means to be unfaithful. A breach of trust. Treachery. This is a word that's used when a husband is unfaithful to his wife. Breaking a covenant. A deep covenant of trust, and they broke it. So, what does it say? The Lord's anger burned against them. Talk about a summary in the first verse of the chapter. The Lord's anger burned against them. This is no small thing. Because think about it. They've just spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness because they disobeyed God, and God's anger burned against them. 
can look at Numbers 32, 13. In another place, Moses warns them, do not anger God, because if he burns in his anger, he might wipe you all out on the face of the earth. The Lord God's anger burned against them, and that is not good. Not good at all. But they don't know it. Joshua doesn't know it. So Joshua does his thing. You know, he's the military guy. He does the military thing. All right. Jericho down. Check that off. We're rolling. Things are going. So he does his thing. Send the spies out. Let's spy out AI. So the spies go out. Spy on AI. Come back. They give a report. And they're like, AI, Shmei. We don't care about those guys at all. Don't even send the whole army. How much confidence do you have to have? You say, just send a few. Don't, don't bother everybody. We'll just send two or 3,000. No problem. All right. Sounds good. And from a human perspective, that would be correct. AI compared to Jericho is nothing. But what happens? They're defeated. Instead of having victory, they actually get chased. They flee. 36 of the men die. And it says in verse 5, the hearts of Israel melted and became like water. Now, this is a total reversal. Because remember, when the people of Israel crossed over the Jordan, chapter 5, when they cross over, the the hearts of the people in the land melted. Because they're like, oh, there's this huge army. Well, at least they're on the other side of the river. We'll be safe. Suddenly, they hear this report. the, the, The river parted. The water of the river parted. And this huge contingent of people crossed over. How did that happen? They must have some crazy power. And so the hearts of the Canaanite people melted before Israel. Now it's the opposite. The hearts of Israel have melted. This is a big problem for Joshua. You know, as a, again, as a military guy, he knows this. One, they've been defeated. How is that supposed to happen? Two, the hearts of the people have melted. How is he supposed to lead them? And so it says he tore his clothes and they put dust on themselves. These are expressions of grief lament. They're distressed by this. And they fall on their faces, Joshua and all the elders, all day long, praying to God before the ark of the Lord. He's totally dejected. He doesn't understand, Lord, what has happened? He thinks God has abandoned them. And notice, when he's talking, he sounds like the people of Israel in the past. He says, God, why have you brought us into this land just to wipe us out? Has God ever heard that before from the people of Israel? Like multiple times. When they first come out of Egypt, before they've even crossed the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's army comes, they're like, Moses and God, why have you brought us here just to kill us? Weren't there graves in Egypt where we could die there? That's what Joshua sounds like. That's a big problem. When the leader of the people has that same attitude. God, why have you brought us here just to wipe us out? Then he says, you know, it would have just been better if we had stayed on the other side of the Jordan. Why don't we could have just stayed there? Oh, we'd wiped out all the people there. It's a nice land. We could have stayed there. Remember, this is exactly the problem that they had in Joshua chapter 1, verses 11 through 18. Remember that? I've got a slide here. I know it's probably a little bit hard to see this. But this is the people of Israel. These are the tribes. And they're coming from right to left on the screen there. And they would be coming across. 
And you can see Jericho kind of in the middle. And right up and down in the middle there is the Jordan River. So they had all these people on the east side. There's Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben. And remember that story. That was their territory. And they had conquered those people. And they're ready to go in to the land. And the, the people are like, wait a minute. Those guys are just going to stay back here and enjoy it. And we all have to go fight the war. So they have this big problem. They're like, you guys have to come with us. Make a commitment. You're going to come with us till all the area is cleared. All that on the left side. Then you can go back. Remember that? Chapter one. Make a big issue. They have to make a covenant about it. They're like, no, we will fight. We'll go over. It's this huge issue. It comes up again at the end when they have to fulfill this vow. Now, Joshua's saying, you know what? Actually, maybe they were right. We should have all stayed on that side. Big problem. Joshua's turned to the Lord. What's the Lord going to say? How's the Lord going to respond? We'll look at verse 10. Then the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their back before their enemies because they, that is the people of Israel, have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Here's the real problem. They themselves have become harem. So God says, Joshua, you think you got problems? Let me tell you about real problems. God reveals the real issue. Israel has sinned. They have not been careful to follow God. And God lays out a list. You never want that. You know, God to come, here's the list. And God lays out a list. Here's what's really going on. Israel has sinned. And then he lists these other things. It's interesting, in the original Hebrew, it's emphasized, God just says, and also, five times. And so I have a, just a, a personal translation here, you can see on the screen, this is how I would do it. It says, and Israel has sinned, this is what God is saying, and also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, and also taken from the devoted things, and also stolen, and also acted deceitfully, and also put them with their possessions. Here's the list. This is the issue. Now, how does that stack up against what they were supposed to do when God initially commissioned them? How does that stack up against, let's say, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 7? When they first go, before they even go into the land and God commissions them, he says, Only be, very, be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. How well are they doing? They've sinned. They've transgressed. They've taken the things that belong to God. So that's chapter one. This is chapter seven. And in six chapters, they've turned aside. You know, Jordan River, no problem. Huge enemy, Jericho, no problem. The enemy within... That's the one that gets them. They failed to be careful to obey all that God has commanded them. 
So, coming back to the issue, God has the list, but he says something very specific that you need to see, and that's in verse 12. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted to destruction. The people of Israel, by their disobedience, now they are harem. They now belong to God, and he says they must be devoted to destruction. That's the issue. Because they have become harem by their disobedience, they have to be devoted to destruction. They're a part of it. It has spread to them. This means that they are devoted to the Lord for destruction, and they cannot be held back. The people of Israel and Joshua can't just say, "Uh, I don't know, Uh, that seems a little bit too extreme. I don't think we want to do that. Why? Because they belong to the Lord. Just like the silver and the gold and the really nice looking cloak that Achan had held back. Because he's saying, well, I don't know. Why should we destroy those things? Why can't I just keep a little bit? Why does it matter? Because of their sin and unfaithfulness to the Lord by stealing what belongs to the Lord, God will no longer be with them unless they destroy the devoted things, which now includes some of the people, the people themselves. So Achan's sin has polluted the camp. It has caused all of Israel to be defeated. It's not just confined to him. His whole family becomes harem. The consequences of the enemy within cascade to people around us. It happened in Joshua 6, and it happens with us too. You think about the contrast that we have here. In Joshua 6, Rahab saves her whole family by her faith and obedience. They come into the house, and they're saved. Here, in the next chapter, Achan, who is of the people of God, brings destruction on his whole house by his disobedience. The unclean things must be devoted to the Lord for destruction. So Joshua, by God's command, tells the people that they should consecrate themselves. And then they have to go. They come before the Lord, tribe by tribe, clan, house, and by the men of the house. They present themselves before the Lord. They come before the Ark of the Covenant. And this reinforces the communal nature of the tribes. And the tribes are groups. And the families and the clans are groups. And then God reveals... Who it is that sinned, and it comes down to Achan, like the light shining on him. And he confesses what he did. He took the things. He saw them, and he coveted them, and he took them. He knew what he was doing, and he sinned against God. He's confessed. But if Joshua and the people do not destroy Achan and all that he possessed, they would be doing the same thing he did. By holding back. Because Achan and his family had become harem. They belonged to God. So we look at this and we say, wow, is human life valuable? Yes, it is. 
But you could say, make the same argument, is gold and silver valuable? Yes, it is. But both belong to God. God has the right to determine what should be done with these things. Now, here's the thing. When we read a passage like this, you go, wow, this is interesting. That seems a little harsh. Maybe I could see it for the guy, but what about the whole family? How can God do that to his whole family? When we have that attitude, you know what we're doing? We're actually doing the exact same thing that Achan did. We have the exact same attitude he did, just about different things. We're having that attitude about him and his family and his life as he had about the cloak. Why destroy this beautiful garment? I'll look so good in it. Why destroy the gold? Why give it to God? I could use it for my own possession. Because I'm sure he had rational reasons, just like we do. We can rationalize it, but when we have that kind of attitude, when we put ourselves above God and say, God doesn't really understand morality, but I understand morality. We are stealing from God something that belongs to him. Now, you may also be reading, hearing this passage, you think, wow, I'm really glad that we don't have to put people to death when we steal from God anymore. But that isn't entirely correct, is it? Even for us in the New Testament, even for us as believers here today. And now if you're a first-time guest here, you're like, where's the door? I don't know where he's going with this. It's not entirely correct. Think about it. We just celebrated communion. Jesus said, this is the new covenant established by my blood. When we sin, someone still has to die. That has not changed. What has changed is that God has entered into a covenant with us through Christ and Christ has been put to death on our behalf. That's the gospel. Now that we are in Christ, he is the one whose blood brings the forgiveness of sin whose sacrifice absorbs God's burning wrath. Not that we have to put death Christ over and over again, but we've entered into a covenant. Our forgiveness is is worked out through his death on the cross on our behalf. That's the gospel. So that's what's going on here in this story. I want to just close this out with uh, four principles that answer the question we raised at the beginning Why is the enemy within so dangerous? Why is our own rebellion the thing that defeats us? So four things. The enemy within is so dangerous because it leads us to steal what belongs to God. Our own rebellion defeats us because it turns us away from the living God to idolatry. Achan took for himself what rightly belonged to God. Now, how do we do this? We do this by putting ourselves in the seat of moral judgment. It's like if you went into a courtroom, you know, for a a trial, and you're like, I'm going to go sit in the judge's seat. That's where I belong. What do you think they're going to do? Kick you out. We don't belong there. We as people do this so much. We think of ourselves so highly. Well, that's not what I think. That's not what I want. That's not what I believe. We don't belong in that spot. Morality belongs to God. Don't steal from God. Don't steal what belongs to God. Truth 
belongs to God. And maybe during this message, you've had that feeling. You're like, oh, this seems wrong that God would do that. And I'm not saying we don't struggle with it. We struggle to submit our will to God. But don't come to the point. Don't walk out of these doors and be like, I'm not going to follow a God who would do that. If we harbor and give over to that attitude, we have done the very thing that Achan did. Don't steal from God. Principle number two. The enemy within is so dangerous because it makes us guilty before God. Our own rebellion is what defeats us because it ignites the Lord's burning anger against us. In this story, the real problem is not the defeat at AI. That's what they think is the problem. The real problem is that God is offended. They've sinned against him. Now let's play a little game of would you rather. You know, would you rather? Little game, you just have a, you know, kind of a silly question or something and you have to pick one. You know, would you rather have gum in your hair or hair in your gum? Some of us would just rather have hair. (laughs) Gum or otherwise. So would you rather have all the forces of all the world against you? Or would you have God against you? The issue is not what's out there. The issue is in what's in here. This is our primary enemy, our primary challenge. Our real problem is our sin against God. So what about that list? Maybe you're listening here and you think, yep, when you talk about that list, I know the list. Maybe you're painfully aware of the list of charges against you. Maybe you can't have a quiet moment or close your eyes without reviewing those things, those charges. You understand it. Maybe for you, you think the list, you go, my list doesn't have anything on it. Maybe that's you. Maybe you go, I didn't know there was a list. What do we do? In all of those cases, what we should do is trust Christ as the wrath absorbing sacrifice on our behalf. If you have never done that, then acknowledge your sins, acknowledge that list, and ask for God's forgiveness. If you are a follower of Christ and you can't get away from that list, you just go through it and you confess those things and you say, Christ paid for that, and also that, and also that, and also that, and you just go down through the list. And then the next day or the next moment, you do it again. You say, yes, I'm guilty, but Christ paid for that, and also that. And also that. That's how we live by faith in the sacrifice that Christ has made for us. Thirdly, the enemy within is so dangerous because it threatens the whole community. Our rebellion defeats us because it harms more than just ourselves. The whole nation of Israel was in danger. 36 of the soldiers died. Achan destroyed his whole family because of his sin. Sin has consequences. You know, think about it. If I went out from here this afternoon and I went down the road just next door and I set all of the Dallas school buildings on fire and burned them down, would there be consequences to that? Yeah. 
Big consequences. I mean, the buildings would be destroyed. Millions of dollars worth. People's lives would be in danger. People could potentially die from that. There would be no place to have school. Kids would not be educated. That's a consequence. You know what else would happen? They would come and arrest me and throw me in prison. Do you think that would have a consequence for me and my life? My family, this church, our community, the witness of the gospel? Yes. Our sins have consequences and they affect the whole community. We need to take sin seriously. It affects those around us. They may say, well, that's just the Old Testament. You know, the New Testament is different. Really? Have you read Acts chapter 5, 1 through 11, the story of Ananias and Sapphira? If not, read it. The same thing happens there. And by the way, that is the New Testament. After Christ has ascended, sin has serious consequences. And think about it. The reason God rescued us is to deliver us from our sin. So yes, we have forgiveness, but God is, I'm not wanting you to continue in it. The whole reason Jesus did this is to save us from our sins. So how can we continue in it? Let's take sin seriously. In a world that does not. Let's honor God as holy. And do our best to be a community of people who strive to be careful to know what God says and to obey it. And lastly, the enemy within is so dangerous because it confronts us in times of victory. Our own rebellion defeats us because it presents itself when things are going good. The people have crossed over the Jordan, consecrated themselves to the Lord. They've seen this miraculous thing that God has done. They've seen Jericho fall and they're winning and things are going well and it looks good and they still sin. Our sinfulness is not because God lacks doing amazing things. If God could just out-miracle our sin, he would have done it. When things are going good, we're often challenged. And I think it comes to us because we're often less vigilant in those times. So this passage comes to us as a warning. Be vigilant in your own life when you experience a victory, when things are going well. Be vigilant. Know yourself. Know when those temptations are going to come and devote yourselves to the Lord. I give an example. You know, our church has gone through a big challenge. We may not recognize it necessarily, but the transition of a lead pastor in a church is a big deal. It's fraught with potential for discord, for disunity, for, for really destroying momentum. A lot of things and challenges can happen. God has tremendously blessed us and brought us through a great victory. That's all on God. We give him the glory for that. He has done it. But we need to be careful. Because through that, in that situation, we as a church need to be vigilant to not fall into sin. So be warned. You know, maybe you still have that, you kind of have that anger. I don't know how Pastor Mark could leave. 
Maybe you have some bitterness over how things went or didn't go, the process didn't go the way you thought. Maybe you'd be tempted to grumble and just complain, "Eh, you know, things are different now. The sermons are this and that, and this is different, and I don't like that. Dear brothers and sisters, be careful. God has given us a great victory. We need to be vigilant to follow carefully what he's asking us to do so that we don't let the enemy within us bring destruction in our own lives, in our families, in our church, in our community. So what do we do? What we do is honor God as holy. We say, God, you are holy. We want to honor you. We want to worship you. We pray and say, God, help me to be obedient. We confess our sins when we're confronted by them. We come before the Lord and ask for forgiveness. We take ourselves out of that position of of judgment and we say, God, whatever you say, I will do. That's how we move forward. Honor our holy God together. Let's pray. Lord, help us. I feel my weakness. We know that we so easily turn from you. But Lord, we don't want that. We want to honor you as holy. We want to love you. We want to follow you. So help us to do that. Thank you for the gifts that you've given to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the sacrifice of Christ. Would we trust in that as we move forward together? Lord, we thank you. We love you. We worship you now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.